And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. DirecTV gives you access to apps like Netflix and live sports right next to each other. I don't get it. Let me put it in pigeon terms. It's like that one amazing dumpster with the old fruit and cardboard all in one place. How am I supposed to keep up with illustrative metaphors when you are making me so hungry? Get live TV and streaming apps together without a satellite. Visit directtv.com. Requires high-speed internet-connected Gemini device and separate paid subscription to watch Netflix on DirecTV. Terms and restrictions apply. Welcome to the Full 60 featuring Craig Custance and presented by The Athletic. Each week, we'll dive into the biggest stories in hockey while bringing in unique voices to entertain and explain all aspects of the game. Hey, this is Craig, and welcome to this week's episode of The Full 60. I am thrilled to be joined right now by the owner of the Carolina Hurricanes, Tom Dundon. And his team, as we stand now, is is um, they look really good. And it's been a weird year, and a weird year for Carolina especially. But, um, you know, we're starting to see things really come to fruition. So first of all, Tom, thank you for doing this. Let's start there. It's good, it's good to be with you. Thanks for having me. All right, so early impressions of your team. Let's just start very. Let's start right there. You have to feel pretty good with how things have started with the Hurricanes. Yeah, winning's fun, right? Like that's why we do it. So so far, so good. <laughs> yeah, um, I, I mean, there's there's it's such a strange time, and and I think especially so as an owner uh, um, of an NHL team. And so let me just start logistically. Like, how are you taking in these games? And, and what has that experience been like for you? Well, I, just, I watch on TV like yeah. everybody else. So um, it's it's not that abnormal for me just because I don't live in the same town as my team. And, and so it's been uh, about the same other than, you know, maybe I'll catch a few less live games, obviously, this year than I than I would have. But. You know, over the last couple of years, I've I've done less and less time around the team and in Raleigh um, as 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 time's gone on here. Yeah, is that intentional? Was that to give some more space, or what was what's the thought behind that? Yeah, you know, in the beginning, there was a lot to learn, and and I think the conclusion I came to initially was. I had to understand and that changes were probably appropriate. Yeah. And then over time, as you, as you start to recognize that people are, you know, the standards where we wanted it and the culture and the way people treat each other and the way we do things, um, feels like we're on the right track. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, you can always get better, but there wasn't, there wasn't a lot to add or learn in the last year. We had kind of gotten to a point where, where, yeah, I had to get out of the way. Uh, <laughs> yeah, and, and that was always the plan. You just didn't know how long it would take and if it would work. And uh, right now, it feels like the right way to do things. So, what did that process look like for you? From kind of the you know, when you were interested in kind of close on that deal to doing the evaluation, how did you go about making sure it was where it needed to be? You know, my, my process is, is maybe different than others. I, I have to have conversations. And so I just talk to people and ask questions and, and, you know, just had to be around and, you know, whether it's in person or phone calls, talking to people in and outside of the organization and, and, and just, you know, you make a bunch of little moves or changes, uh, whether that's people or, or the way you do things and, you know, over time, we, we kept making the little changes and got to a point where you had to look really hard to find anything that could make an impact. And, and once you get to the point where you feel like the things that are left um, might be changed for change sake, and I don't believe in that. Right. Um, so, you know, I did it first when we first got here, right? It felt like you just had to do things different just to change the feeling. And, you know, now... I kind of feel like stability and just do it the right way, the way I think they're doing it now is probably is probably the right way to go about it. So what did you discover about the process or how a team was run on the NHL side as you were trying to explore some of this that maybe you didn't realize? Yeah, I'm not sure what my 
what I didn't, I'm not sure what I expected. Okay. Um, I know that, you know, the first time I walked in the facilities, um, it clearly wasn't up to the NHL standards. Um, and that just meant the locker room had to be better and we needed a practice facility. And those are, those are, you know, kind of tangible, um, things that aren't that hard, right? It's, it's, it's a little time and money, but it were thing they were things that you just, everyone could see that it wasn't where it needed to be. And you know, I think part of, I think there was a feeling that I had when I was there and I think it was, I don't know if you've been there, but mm -hmm. there was just a feeling around the team and the organization. And I'm not saying it was because the locker room wasn't nice or because, you know, of any one thing, but there were a number of things like that, that as you wanted to change the way we felt about ourselves and the way we were perceived, you had to change some of the things you did. And, you know, those were some of the first steps, but then it was also just the people had kind of, even though they wouldn't admit it, probably everybody knew we were supposed to lose. Right. I think the feedback I got was people came to Carolina, they expected to win and it was almost a night off. Hmm. Um, and you know, that's obviously not what you wanted it to be. And, you know, I think they were playing not to lose. And I think they had an expectation as an organization that, you know, they were, they had some good players and they were young and they were getting better, but they didn't necessarily believe they were supposed to win every night. And I know one ever right. said that those words, but that was the feeling I had when I got there. Um, and I don't, you know, if you can think back three years ago, four years ago, what you thought of the Carolina hurricanes, I think most people would tell you that's what they thought. And that had to change, right? Like you had to change the expectations, but you can't do that with speeches, right? You do it. You have to do it right. with process and actions. All right. Well, so if I'm picturing my, uh, imagining my opinion of the hurricanes in that era, it was, you know, kind of this perennial rebuild, but good young talent that you thought was always on the cusp of being good but never quite getting there right like it was like hey maybe this is a year carolina's really good i like some of the young players there and it never happened and and so how did you how did you then okay if it's not speeches it's structure how do you then put in that expectation of winning from a ownership point of view so you know it was it was a little awkward because when i bought the team i knew i was going to buy it early in the season but it takes until this is like till january before it got done and my thought was you know, there really wasn't anything to do in the middle of it. Um, and I didn't know enough. So we really didn't do anything that first year. Um, yeah. And, you know, one, I wasn't in charge yet. And two, you had to see what it was. And you're right. They did have good young players in there. And there was this idea that they could be getting better. And I think they were. But right. there was, they definitely wasn't getting better culturally. Like, right. They didn't think they should win. They just thought they should compete. You know, they thought they were competitive. Um, and, you know, for me, that's embarrassing, right? Like going into a game, expecting to be competitive, is stupid. Right. Um, and so I think there was, there was uh, unrealistic expectation that first year of that they were better, you know, like they were like, oh, we're going to make like, the talk, which every team, right, they start the year saying we expect to make the playoffs. But, you know, if you just looked at the roster and the talent, it was unlikely. Um, they, didn't right. have, you know, they didn't have the goaltending. They didn't have depth. Their best players were still a little young or our best players were still a little young. And we didn't have enough of them. And the truth is we went in every game and we had less talent than the other team almost, you know, almost every night that first year. And um, but they were close, right? It wasn't that they didn't have some good players that weren't close. So, you know, for me, it was, you needed more good players and you needed time, right? They had to get a little older and then you need more depth. So you had to spend more money so you could have the bottom of the roster, not lose because we were losing with the bottom of the roster. And then, and then we had to change the people, uh, you know, the, the main thing was, was Rod. So that was probably, that was probably the thing that, coincided with a lot of the other changes that that you know made the made the biggest difference 
Well, I mean, right off the hop, you make a move at GM with Ron Francis. How how difficult was that to come in and say, okay, here's this guy that's pretty widely respected in the sport, so you knew it was going to be met with some criticism, I imagine. Like, you know, how how what was the thought process there? What, like, how difficult was that? You know, you know, we tried to make it work. We we talked all the yeah. time, probably probably more than he wanted, and uh, and <laughs> yeah. you know, it wasn't. Uh, it wasn't for a lack of trying. We just, for whatever reason, didn't click. You know, I think he's he he had a lot of good pieces in place. He's very bright. Knows there was nothing particular that was that Ron wasn't part of the problem. You know, it was just our styles are just too different, and you know, it was just not going to work. Um, it didn't cross my. It doesn't usually cross my mind what people will think. Um, because I don't think you can go about life's hard enough making good decisions and doing the right thing. You know, I, I think about what's the right thing to do. I don't think about what will people think about us doing the right thing. And, you know, I'm, I don't know if it's lucky or unlucky to not have that, that insecurity or that awareness of, of perception of you, but, you know, for me, I just want us to win and I want to win with the right kind of people doing things the right way and I'll do whatever that is. And, and in this case, I felt like this was the right way for us. Um, but yes, it wasn't popular. <laughs> it wasn't fun. <laughs> right. Well, it, it, and it also, um, so immediately when I would talk to people in the game, it, it was like, okay, there's, hey, there's this new owner in Carolina. It, it, there was the kind of the follow-up GM search and it's, he doesn't want to pay the GM any money. You know, there was all these, immediately these perceptions formed. How much of that was, hey, I have a mental, when you talk about structure, this is how I believe this needs to be set up versus, you know, I'm trying to save money or whatever it would be. Yeah, look, I have a philosophy of yeah. we're going to pay on the we're going to pay the players, and there's not as many there's not that many players that can make a real difference to the outcome of the game, right? And we have to do everything we can to get as many of those as possible, and then we have a salary cap, so we have to be careful how we allocate our dollars. Right. But the Carolina Hurricanes, the truth of the market we're in and the business side is, if you're going to if you're going to allocate to the top of the salary cap, even though from a revenue perspective, you shouldn't be there. Um, then the decision I made was that there's more people capable of managing and working on the hockey side, really good people that don't get mm -hmm. the opportunity than there are great players, right? So we have to pay the great players and you can't make that choice, even if it's not, even if it's a financial decision that, doesn't make sense you're going to do it because this sport is to win and the impact of a great player of great players affects the outcome i don't believe and other people disagree with me i don't believe yeah. that there's only 31 people in the world that can do some of the other jobs uh, i think there's more than that and so we run our budget on the business as it relates to the market and the business of the Carolina Hurricanes, not to the other 30 teams. Uh, we run our player salary as it relates to the NHL and what the maximum we can do there. That's just what we do. I'm not sure I'm right. You know, I think right. I think it's okay. Um, uh, but we're not going to compete on the non-player side with markets that are in a different place than we are. And it's, you know, look, I've I've owned businesses and do different things, and the bigger businesses that have more revenues pay more, and that's the way it is. So you you, I would be curious about the coming to that conclusion. Was that something intuitively you said, okay, I just kind of know by being in business there are you know there's enough people in management that we can get more than thirty one versus there's only three Sveshnikovs in the world. Yeah, like how did you draw that conclusion, or was that through the process of talking to people? I think a little bit of both. I think. You know, if you think about how many great businesses and companies and entrepreneurs and, you know, just how much talent there is in the world, 
And then somehow you get into hockey and people think there's only such a small number of people <laughs> that are capable. I always right. found that comical. I was like, who, yeah. who created that lie? Um, there are a lot of really smart, good people in this sport um, and people that want to be in the sport. And what I find is in hockey, it's more reputation opportunity and different things. And I'm willing to do that. And I'm willing to take someone I think is really talented and give them the opportunity, even if the world doesn't agree. And, you know, Rod's probably a good example. He was an assistant coach on a team that never made the playoffs. So I promise when I got here, I didn't think I'd be hiring an assistant coach that had been around the team for years to be the next head coach, right? Like that wasn't probably something I would have ever thought could happen. But then when you're around this person and you see how people respond to him, his work ethic, all the other, these great qualities, and then, um, and then you give him the job and people think it's because you're, you don't want to spend money and it's not, it has nothing to do with the money. It's that I could find someone that I thought could give us the best chance to win at a price that I thought was right for this team. If I couldn't have, right, if I couldn't have found a GM, if I couldn't have found a coach, if I was wrong and there was only 30 of them and they all had to make a certain amount of money, then I would have changed my philosophy, right? Like I, It's right. not like I'm going to go – not going to lose because I don't want to spend an extra X dollars on a GM or a coach or an assistant coach or a trainer. That would be insane, right? To have a $90 million player budget like we did last year and try to get smart over a hundred thousand or half a million dollars, right? That would make (laughs) sense. But until I was proven that I couldn't find really good people at a price that felt fair for the market and the situation we're in. So, Everybody can do it however they want to do it, but I'm pretty sure I'll be able to find people that are very capable that you could pay a fair amount of money that wanted, that can do a good job for us. Yeah, but what do you do when you you make the right call with Rod Brindamore? You just give him an opportunity, and he thrives, and then it it becomes then his contract's up, right? Now you're faced. Do you just do that again, or do you? I hope not. Like, <laughs> yeah, no, I hope not. I mean, I don't think we're. You know, look, let's be. I have this philosophy. There's lots of people that can do it. I don't think now, I don't think there's yeah. really people that can do it like him. Like I think I agree. He's one of the best. Uh, I've told people that of all the people I've ever hired or that have worked with me, he's might be the best. If he's not, if he's not the best, he's, he's definitely one of them. Um, and so, yeah, we got to figure that out. Right. So it makes it, it makes it harder. Um, when, when, the situation you just described manifests itself the way it has. And so we're going to work it out and this will be an example where I'll have to change. I'll have to change my philosophy a bit here because of this unique situation that, that we're in because he is that good. What did you see in him that made you convinced he was deserving of this opportunity? Um, you know, it's, it's one, it was the way people respond to him. You know, there's something, there are some people that, that you can't teach that judgment and empathy that when they're in a room or people interact with, with you and they mm-hmm. leave there happy or, you know, uh, respecting you or whatever it is. And he's got that ability that, that not many people have that, People respect him, and partly he's a good player, but it's also he's just a good person. He's fair. Um, he's smart. He's thoughtful. He's hardworking. He's got all these qualities that that are hard to find all in one person. And so, um, I wasn't a hundred percent sure, by the way, because <laughs> right, I, I mean, right. I, I was pretty sure. Um, but you know, I, 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 I'm never sure of anything, right? Like I'm always scared every time we make a decision or do something because I think that's, I think that's appropriate. Right. I think it's appropriate right. to think that you could be wrong and always think about, you know, what am I missing? What could we do different? And that's the, that's what I do all the time on every decision. So it's not as if we hired him and, and, and knew it would turn out like this. I mean, I, I thought it would, but I've been wrong before lots of times. Um, 
and uh, it probably turned out better than I ever would have expected. So you've said a few times in interviews that you you know maybe you you know hockey isn't your expertise, but you do know structure and you know how to create a structure where everybody's opinion is heard. And I would be curious when you look at your front office and the evolution over even the last couple of years. There's been a lot of changes there. Um, even if Don has kind of been at the top since in the beginning, essentially, what how, how do you create a structure where everyone's heard and what does that look like on the hockey upside? Well, you know, Ron had hired, or they were there when I got here, Darren York and Eric Kulski. Mm-hmm. Um, and so they've been there for a while. And, you know, we give them one of the really good things about Don is he doesn't, he, he agrees with the idea that we've got a lot of people that know hockey around here and they should all get a say and we want everyone to feel important. And, and, you know, in essence, everyone kind of has a veto, right? Like if someone just thinks this is crazy, we should, why are we doing it? Right? Like if yeah. people we think are good, smart, hardworking people that are engaged in the business of making the hurricanes great. And that's, we have a guy, Sergey Samsonov, uh, that mm-hmm. does development and Tim Gleason and our minor league coach, Juan Warsawski. Um, uh, and they all get a say our assistant coaches, Dean and Jeff, they, we don't do anything without trying to get everybody to engage, watch the player, talk to people, read the reports, look at the analytics, understand that that outside of a couple players that everybody can see are the best, there's some nuance here. And so we just, you know, I think the big thing is Don doesn't have an ego about this stuff. He 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 he's a really good facilitator. He's just a good guy, right? You know him. He's an, he's just yeah, a good person. Um who, you know, he'll call and say, Hey, we're thinking about doing this. And I'm like, I don't care. Like why, you know, like, but he's, uh, he's, I don't know. I don't want to use the word respectful cause it's the wrong word, but he's, um, aware enough that, you know, it's not that hard to keep everybody included, even on things that might seem, um, not worth the extra couple phone calls to tell people, Hey, we're sending this guy to the East coast or we're, you know, whatever it is. Yeah. And, you know, I think just creating that culture where everybody, you know, there's nothing worse for this people that work so hard and they find out, you know, you traded a low level player, lower level prospect, or you moved a guy to another market or, uh, to another league or, and they find out in the news or something. That's not the way we want it to be. Right. We want everybody to sort of be involved and if someone's hurt, they should know before it's on Twitter, you know, that kind of stuff. And that that's not hard to do, but I don't think it's normal. I think it's just kind of, I think for whatever reason in the hockey, it tends to be a little more, a couple people um, protect everything. And we don't want to do that. Right. So Eric and Darren, are, they're, they're interesting because they've, they've come up a very non-traditional route. And maybe it, it can only be in a front office that operates the way yours does so i imagine they've you know you're watching them closely over the last couple of years they've proven themselves you know what is it about especially in the world of analytics that they've done that you've given them that opportunity yeah well you know tolsky's interesting because i the business that i did most of my life i had hundreds of people in what we call decision science and it's you know you call it analytics you whatever it is and and I never had anyone even close to as smart as this guy. Um, and so he, he's it's the first time, and and maybe I just wasn't aware in the past, but it's the first time that I've ever known that someone is just smarter than me, and it's not particularly close. You know, <laughs> like um, yeah. It's not like I'm catching his mistakes. In my whole life, I was able to find other people's mistakes when they build reports or do analytics or come to conclusions. I'd, I could, I could just see they were wrong and that they missed right. something, and I'd send them back and fix this or fix that. And that's not happened once. Uh, I don't think I've ever been right when I say I think you're wrong, and then he goes and proves to me I'm wrong. And so that's you know having someone that smart. Uh, that understands hockey that just loves hockey right um so it's it's i think it's that's a unique thing and you know 
it's easy to think, well, you do analytics, so you just stay over there and do it. And I don't think that's right. I think you want them having exposure to the hockey side as much as possible because he's a smart person who can take that that non-analytical side, you know, what coaches see or what players think and what scouts see. And he needs to have that information, I think, to do his job really well. And that's what we try to do. We make sure he gets he's included. And then on the other side of that, you know, you want people to read his information and they don't have to agree with it, but Mm -hmm. they have to absorb it and combine that with what they see and be able to not miss any piece of the puzzle. Um, I still think people have to believe what they see more than what they read, but why would you not have both? And that's sort of what he allows us to do. And then on Darren, you know, he was running amateur scouting and he just has the bandwidth to do more, right? So over time, we, we just keep giving him more. And I think, I think when you have somebody who understands the skill sets that we're looking for and is confident enough in what he sees and what's right, to not get talked into changing his opinion because someone played for a long time or has been in hockey for a long time. And I, that's what I like about him is he believes in what he believes in and he's willing to learn. He spent countless hours with Rod over the years watching tape. So Rod's kind of shaped him a little bit before he was a head coach. But at the same time, he also is willing to disagree with people if he sees something he likes. So I, I take a lot of comfort in people who who can disagree and form an opinion and collaborate without coming across like a jerk and a know-it-all, right? Because that's hard, right? It's hard to, right. to believe in yourself and believe in your opinion and not be easily swayed by the next neat idea or thing or person's strong opinion, but not come across as a know-it-all or someone who doesn't think through all the process. And I think that's a really hard thing to do to have to have an opinion without um, offending everybody and acting like your opinion's better than theirs. So he's good at it. Do you, do you have an example of a move that was made or a trade that was made where kind of this strategy really shined in that moment? Boy, you know, I, there's no like silver bullets, right? I think yeah. when we were doing the, we, when we traded for the James Reimer, I think uh, I always look back on that because um, we had a choice. We were going to buy, we were going to buy out uh, Scott Darling's contract, and that would have kept the cap hit lower, but we'd have had it for longer, right? And that's no fun. And then we we were trying to figure out what you know what to do backup goalie wise and so you get the analytics say hey this guy this guy's a really good player had a bad year and then you get people to watch him and go through it and you say well you know he's been better wasn't as good right and and you kind of go through the whole process of the money and the analytics and the scouting report and what's it going to mean for the salary cap and it's worse now but it's better later and what's the risk? And it turned out if the guy played well, he was 700000 incremental dollars cash end cap for two years. So if he became what we thought he was, which he did, you had a, a player that was worth significantly more than that. And if you were wrong, it was a $700,000 bet, right? That was what you lost for two years. So it was a million and a half dollars to potentially win three. Uh, $3 million in value. And so that's kind of how we look at it is just go through that whole process of can he still play? Is there anything technically wrong with him? What do the analytics say? You know, and how does he check out as a human being, as a person? You know, all these right. things matter. Um, that was a good one. And um, But yeah, there's, there's nothing uh, – there hasn't been anything we've done that everybody didn't get a say, so it's hard to really come up with it with an example because it's not we don't just walk in and don tells everybody i just you know traded for this guy <laughs> Hope you right. like him. Right. that's just never happened um 
It's interesting, like that. And I, so to give you a little bit of background, my first job was covering the Atlanta Thrashers when Don was the GM there. So oh, yeah. I've known him a long time. Yeah. So we go, like he, he broke me and then he was a the coach at one point. So I was dealing with him as a GM and a coach. And so we've, we go back a ways and I find it fascinating that he is the guy that is at the top of this structure. Um, because when, when you're saying, you're saying almost like I reject the notion of the hockey guy, right? Um, and Don is, is almost, I don't want to say the epitome, because, but he's a guy that's been a hockey lifer that, know, you know, I think his strength is the relationships he has with all these other GMs because he's, in fact, a hockey guy. Why do you think it's worked in that regard? Yeah, well, no, I'm not anti-hockey guys. We have all of them. Right? Yeah. I think they're really smart. Right, I just right, think right. there's yeah. more of them. I don't think there's such a – I think there's a lot of people. What 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 really good about Don's relationships are, you know, like the fact that he has them, it's partly because he's just a good person, right? He's a good guy. Uh, but Don's really smart, and he's good at the business. He's good at the hockey side. But I think his greatest strength is he doesn't think he's smarter than everybody else. Mm. And I actually think Don's way smarter than maybe, like, if you just meet him, he's such an affable, nice person. You know, he's very kind. And those people, people don't walk away and say, boy, that guy's he's super smart. But he actually is a really very intelligent person. He He, he can... He can critically think and he can think through layers of, of problems um, way more than you realize because he doesn't try to prove how smart he is all the time. Um, but yeah, I think the fact that he's been in hockey a long time is a good thing. It's not like I brought in people from outside of hockey, like not one. My point is just there's a lot of smart people in hockey there's just nobody who's way smarter than everybody else. Like I don't, I don't think we have one scout who can out scout the market, right? Like that's right. not what I think. It, smart as I think Don is and Rod is, that, smart as I think they are, I don't think that if they think a player is something and nobody else agrees with them, I'm not just going to agree with them just because I like them or I think they're smart, right? I think, I think you've got to do more than that and. But yeah, so the hockey lifer is not the problem. It's actually probably an advantage. It's it's just it's just if you think the fact that you've been in hockey your whole life means you know more about it than other people that have been in hockey their whole life, well, then you're probably not right. Right. So, but by, by my calculations here, listening to you, a guy like Eric Tulski, who who you've concluded is is you know considerably smarter than you, would actually be the guy that would be more. I don't want to say valuable because I'm not trying to, but like. Harder to find, I would say, in the, he's in this a unicorn. sport. Yeah, well, he, he's a unicorn. Honestly, Eric Tolsky would be hard to find in anything. Like, okay, if if he wanted to come work, if I could get him, it'd be better for me financially to get him not to work for the Hurricanes and come do other stuff with me. Like he 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 could he could create a lot more value financially. The problem is. I care more about the Hurricanes winning than I do that other stuff. And so I want right. to keep him right where he is. <laughs> right. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. So, Tom, before I get into your, your backstory a little bit, there is I think there's some interesting things on the forefront that I think will really um, reveal some of your philosophies because I'm not sure... Aho aside, you haven't had to do the met the huge like franchise player contract yet under your ownership, and that one got done for you in some regards in Mon with Montreal. How what's your approach to getting? And there are different situations, but essentially the same: Dougie Hamilton and Andre Svechnikov in Carolina long term. Um, well, look, they're great players, and you want to have great players. So you know, it's as you. You know, we, we spend at the cap, so it's just how do we allocate yeah. those dollars, right? So um, I it would be if Andre ever played anywhere else, it would it would crush me. Uh, mm -hmm. so that would be hard to imagine that happening and we just gotta figure out how to work it out. Um, you know, Dougie's harder. 
he's been so so good i i he's a good person he's been a great teammate he's a great player um but it's difficult when someone's close to being a ufa right so we just have to figure out um how do we make it fit and and how does it work for everybody uh, it's a little easier when there's you know some years of control where both team and player can buy out those UFA years in advance. Uh, that should be easier to do than when someone's a year from UFA. Um, and, you know, I can't, I can't perfectly know what each individual thinks, right? Like you just don't know and they have agents and they have other, other influences, but I think our philosophy is to have great players. And if you have to pay your, you have to pay your great players market value, you're going to do that, right? That's just the way it is. You're not, you're not, you're, there is no other option. So, um, figuring out what market value is though, within a range, um, that allows you to be competitive, um, is just something we all have to work through together. But yeah, I don't have any intention of letting really good players leave, but um, sometimes you have to, right? It's just, yeah, we want to, we want to have the best chance to win every game forever, not just today and not just next year. So we're not going to make decisions that make us better for a year or two, but worse in the future. Um, just for the newsworthiness, are, are either closer, is one closer than the other than signing? Is there any like news there in terms of where things stand? Yeah, no, I mean, Don's dealing with it. I'm not, I don't get, yeah. I have nothing to do with it. If, you know, at some point, I guess it's probably not that close or I'd probably know, you know, but maybe I think I'd know, but maybe not. But on this, on these, I don't, you know, it's, it's really no fun to be in the middle of that, you know, those bigger long-term deals because they move so slow and I would be the kind to just get everybody in a room and, you know, get all the information, fight it out for two hours and get a deal done, you know, and that's not how it works. So I, I'd rather just stay out of it. Do you, there was this, with Otto, there was this kind of perception in the league that you were pushing back on kind of the conventions of player contracts uh, in, in terms of comparables and that sort of thing. Is that, do you, do you have a, a? Do you feel like you have a different approach to player contracts than other teams? Like you do other things, or do you? Are you like, hey, players are the are, are what drive this thing. We have to pay them. Like how? Yeah, no, I don't think we have a different approach at all. Um, okay, I I think, you know, look pre pandemic, post pandemic, I think it's a little different. Yeah. Um, the no, I mean, I I think we were, you know, look, this is maybe because I'm new at this, or but I don't. You know, I don't think Don has been doing it a long time. He didn't expect it to go like it went. Uh, so <laughs> I think we would have got it all worked out, right? Like somehow oh, we with found, Aho, you mean? Yeah, we found a yeah, way to yeah, spend yeah. ninety million bucks last year and an eighty million dollar salary cap because LTIR and all that stuff, right? So right. there's there's my philosophy is I want the best players and I want to find a way to fit them into the salary cap. I can't imagine that that's different than every other team. <laughs> so. <laughs> You know, there are, you know, there are times where we make mistakes and we spend too much of our cap the wrong mm -hmm. way. And, and, you know, you want to try to minimize how often that happens. Right. But, you know, we need great players. I, I think some teams, uh, yes, everyone wants to get their guys under the cap. I think some teams, there's this scale of how much they're willing to wield the hammer when it comes to when they have leverage. Like a guy was like Svechnikov, right? He's coming, you know, you're at a point where you guys do have the leverage, but you have to balance, you know, the happiness of a franchise player. Yeah, I don't look, I don't think there's a ton of leverage um, for the team on great players. I mean, the truth is okay. the great players have all the leverage and really what you're hoping is that they're happy. They want to be there and maybe you do it a little earlier and take a little risk for them. Um, but there's a range that, you know, if you take into account cost of living and, and situation and age and productivity that you should be able to get, I think the hard part in contracts is there are players that put up points, but don't get two way results. And those are the ones that'll hurt you, right? Where the points get paid for and, but you're not necessarily winning. And that's, that's my biggest fear 
is that we end up paying for points, not production. Um, and to me, production means the other team doesn't score too, right? So, but you know, if you if you get that right balance where someone produces points but also suppresses the other team's points, that should be easy to get done, right? Like we should be able to come to a deal there, right? Yeah, I look at like you got you live that with, and this is not to disparage a player, but Jeff Skinner, you know, was a guy who put up a lot of offense, but maybe isn't impacting the game. And you guys made a call on him that looks pretty good, I would say right now. Yeah. <laughs> Where? I, I, just my thought. Where was um when when I'll get that offer sheet? I, I was talking to somebody in, in the night before. It was I think an agent who said, you know, there's this belief this is going to happen, and there's this belief it's it's because, um, you know, for whatever reason, there's this perception that you you there was that you wouldn't financially be able to match an offer sheet there, amongst other teams. Where were you when you found out? And why do you think there's that exists, like these perceptions of you? Yeah, I don't know. You know, it's obviously my fault, right? Like you, you, uh, if people believe what they believe, if we got offer sheeted because they believe something, um, then there's something I did to create that in, an environment that, that was wrong. But, you know, I have to, I have to realize that, um, the words I use or the things I did create an environment where people believe something so ridiculous, right? Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, what the 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 upsetting part about it was I understand offer sheets when there's cap issues. Yeah, um, I don't understand offer sheet an offer sheet in this situation we were in. We had plenty of cap space, um, but either they, you know, someone thought I was really dumb or really poor, um, and you know, which those, the fact that smart people could come to either of those conclusions is a little strange and, you know, uh, but it all worked out in the end. You know, I don't, it's life. It's, you know, it is, there's something I did that, that put our, put our, put the Carolina Hurricanes in a position to have that happen to us. Um, and, you know, I, I've got to, I got to be careful that I don't do and say things that create uh, an alternate reality for other people. Uh, yeah, but it happened. What are you going to do? But on some level, I think it's almost advantageous. Like it got the deal done, so why not have people think you're you're broke or whatever the thought yeah. process was there? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, look, I would have liked to have more longer term. We love this. Oh, right, we right. love the player. Yeah. So that was the only downside. Is you know, if we were going to do this, we would have we would have liked to get more longer term. And I, I don't like signing bonus. Um, we wouldn't have done that. Uh, um, yeah. And so I don't, you know, but it doesn't matter, right? At the end of the day, it's the rules. It happened. You know, we've never thought about it again, right? This is, this guy's, he is the best kid, the best, hardest worker. He's a great player. He's everything you could ever want. And, you know, that happened. It's business at you know, I'm happy for the kid to tell you the truth. What's hard about this is I, I like most of our players, almost every one of them so much because we've done such a good job of getting the right kind of people around mm. that I'm really happy for every one of them when they make money. You know, and I, I want to balance that with the salary cap, but I want them all to do really well. And so, you know, that, that makes it a little easier, right? Yeah. That's interesting to me because your reputation in business is that you don't get emotional about decisions. Does that emotional connection to your players, do you, I mean, sports has always kind of been its own animal when it comes to, you know, successful businessmen seem to make big mistakes in the sports landscape. Does that, emo do you find yourself more emotionally tied in when it comes to hurricane stuff than, you know, top golf or whatever it would be? Sure. I think you definitely do. Um, you know, I don't think it'll ever force me into a really bad decision um, because, you know, I, I'm able to separate it yeah. at, at the point where I think it's most critical. Um, on the margin, um, I think, so it's hard to say, you know, this would be an interesting debate if yeah. someone's a really good person. And it wouldn't be that when I say I really like someone, um, I do, it's part of the reason I really like some of these players 
is because I know what they do with their teammates and how they treat the staff and the coaches and our fans. Mm. So part of what I like about people is how they treat other people. And yeah. when you've got a great player who, who you really like, a lot of that's not just that I like them because I, you know, these people are half my age. I don't, I don't know them in the way, right, right. but I like the people they are, the effort they give and all these things. And so, yeah, it's going to make us, it's going to impact how we think about, how we think about, you know, what to pay them and how long to pay them for, for sure. So I think the emotion gets into it a little bit more, uh, but for, for a lot of the good reasons, but no, there's, there's been plenty of players we've let leave that I a hundred percent hated letting them leave, uh, from a personal level, but it was, a you know, at the time it felt like the right thing to do for the team. And, and that's why I don't get upset with a player if they want to test free agency or not want to, you know, if they don't want to be here, you know, I get it right. Like it doesn't happen often, but if it does, I understand the business for it. Um, and you seem like a structure guy, a system guy. Are you a culture guy? Like hockey culture is a big thing, right? You talk to like they want to, you know, other owners or GMs or coaches want to create a culture. Do you, is that a word you use? Yeah, of course. I mean, I think, yeah. I think it's what we've, I think that's the number one thing that's happened. The okay. culture's totally changed. And like I told you, it's a lot because of Rob, it's because of Aho and Slavin and Stahl and all these guys. Like once we gave him the resources and the, and the, and the right structure and enough good players, you know, you know, these are really good people that we don't ever have to worry about effort. We don't ever have to worry about um, selfishness. We don't have to worry about those things. And that's because we have the right culture. So yeah, I believe in it. The, the, where I go different than uh, probably some people in hockey is I think toughness is misused i think it's i think the way our team plays um, where everybody tries their best all the time cares whether they're in the game or preparing for a game or getting in shape whatever it is and so to me that's the toughness i want and i think i'd rather have all really good players that try really really hard and create that the toughness in that way versus sometimes you say, well, they're small or skilled or whatever, whatever the knock is on teams that don't win. Um, and I don't really buy as much into needing someone to protect you and all that stuff. I mean, maybe it, maybe it exists, maybe it's true, but I just want really good players. And if, if they're really tough, you know, in the more traditional sense, that'd be great. You know, we traded for Michael Furland and he really helped us um, during that transition from, easy to play against to not easy to play against. But, you know, when he wasn't playing, we were just as good. Um, right. And even though he was a good player and he brought that sort of, you know, toughness that people were looking for, I don't want to have to rely on that. I want to rely on the whole organization and the team, not one or two people who can, you know, protect you. And I don't know that I'm right. That's just my philosophy. I know there are some people that feel like your team as constructed isn't constructed to win in the playoffs over a long stretch, if that's fair or not, because of that. Yeah, maybe. I don't, I think that's yeah. absurd. I think it's absurd. Uh, I actually think we're, yeah, I think we're pretty good. And uh, um, so we'll see, you know, yeah. they might be right. You know, that's look, that's the story yeah. of every team that hasn't won. That's um, right. And uh, I, I, uh, I actually think I'd rather go get another person who can score 40 goals than someone who can get 20 fights. That's just me. Right, right. All right. I had two other housekeeping questions. There was this, there was, um, th kind of this clock on you people in the, in the hockey space in terms of whether or not you were going to, you had the option to, I guess, sell back in January. And then I don't think I've ever heard anything on that front. Is there any update on that on where that stands? Not really. I mean, there's you know, given what everything's going on in the world, um, you know, it wouldn't be my intention to not own the team. So we'll see. You know, there's there's a bunch of things that we have to go through, but I don't think that's. I think it's all going to work out. So you're you're there long term. That's the expectation. That's my plan. Yeah. <laughs> all right. All right. And you're still not going to draft a defenseman in the first round. I just want to get a where where that, where that stands. I yeah. love that quote. 
Um, you know, where we were picking in the first round, definitely not. Um, <laughs> where we're going to be picking now, uh, hopefully. Um, yeah. You know, it's a little different once you get outside of that. For me, once you get outside of that top 10, 15 players, uh, it starts to it starts to slope a little bit more mm-hmm. uh, or a little bit less, I guess. And so, yeah, no, I would, I would say very difficult to imagine if we ended up at the very top of the draft that we would do that. Um, but once you get past the top of it, um, uh, I'd be a little more open-minded to it now that we have, if you look at where our depth is, the problem with the Hurricanes when I got here was we didn't, they couldn't score, right? That's they just, right. They just couldn't score enough. And I wasn't, I didn't, I'm not interested in winning two to one. Uh, I want to <laughs> know when the game starts that your team has a good chance to get to four. You know, like that's right. how I look at hockey. And some people look at it the other way and they're, they might be right. That's not interesting to me. Um, I want us to play to win, not try not to lose. Uh, but, you know, we, where we are now, um, there's, we're probably in a position where I don't think offense is going to be our problem in the future. Yeah. And so, yeah, if there was someone that was ranked higher by the scouts and the organization that played defense, we could talk about it for sure. But, uh, if we're in the top five, somehow we end up with a really high pick. Yeah. I'm probably not going to hear it. All right. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. DirecTV gives you access to apps like Netflix and live sports right next to each other. I don't get it. Let me put it in pigeon terms. It's like that one amazing dumpster with the old fruits and cardboard all in one place. How am I supposed to keep up with illustrative metaphors when you are making me so hungry? Get live TV and streaming apps together without a satellite. Visit directtv.com. Requires high-speed internet-connected Gemini device and separate paid subscription to watch Netflix on DirecTV. Terms and restrictions apply. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. DirecTV gives you access to apps like Netflix and live sports right next to each other. I don't get it. Let me put it in pigeon terms. It's like that one amazing dumpster with the old fruits and cardboard all in one place. How am I supposed to keep up with illustrative metaphors when you are making me so hungry? Get live TV and streaming apps together without a satellite. Visit directtv.com. Requires high-speed internet-connected Gemini device and separate paid subscription to watch Netflix on DirecTV. Terms and restrictions apply. So to wrap up, last segment here, and I didn't even get, I had all these questions about starting, you know, your restaurant Izzy's and the cheddar fries there, and I really want, but we'll have to save that for another conversation. Okay. I, we didn't even get into your 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 path up to uh, where you are now. Um, what, this was, this is, a, so we're going to, I'm going to have these sort of questions. This is from Andrew Grove. What's the team's plan on fans coming back? I'm sure you're anxious to get some of those fans in there. Yeah, no, we don't know. We're just waiting. Um, I, uh, well, we're going to do whatever they tell us. So as soon as they tell us we can, we're, we're ready, but we haven't, haven't gotten a lot of, a lot of positive news lately. It doesn't seem like in the world. So, um, we don't have one, unfortunately. Yeah. Okay. Um, this a couple. This came up a couple times, and and I think this gets into. I, you touched on it, I think, in your philosophy. But I, I would be curious. You know, since you've gone there, you've 
you know, popular guys like John or Chuck Caton, John Forslund have left the organization. What, you know, why, why did that happen? What's the philosophy that that led to that? Well, I mean, look on the, on the radio side, just, you know, I came from, I live in Dallas and they mm-hmm. simulcast and I didn't even know everybody didn't simulcast to tell you the truth. Like I just, right. so I got there and, you know, I looked at the economics and we were losing money yeah. um, being on the radio. Like I was paying a huge premium um, to put a show on the radio. And, um, you know, my position was, you know, I will, I will allocate this many dollars to a radio show and you guys can go figure it out. Right. Like if, if not, I'll just simulcast and uh, we couldn't come to a way for that to work for Chuck and the radio, whoever else. And, you know, I, I, he was great. I loved his voice. He was great for the team. And it was just, you know, this was, this was the, this is how much it was worth for us to be on the radio. Um, and the, that, you know, they couldn't make, they couldn't make the business work. Uh, we were willing to subsidize to be on the radio, but there was a limit to how much we would subsidize to have a separate radio voice. So that was that one. Um, and then the other one was just, you know, contract was up and, you know, I think he's the best. I really, really enjoy listening to him and, you know, um, the contracts predated me and same thing, you know, we said, okay, this is, you know, this is the structure that we can do and it didn't work. Um, and you know, I was sad that it didn't work, but you know, people get to choose, right? People get to choose where they want to work and what they want to do. And, um, you know, I, I, uh, there's not much more insight in it than that. I mean, we're right. We were, we were, we were spending an amount of money on things that didn't affect whether we won or lost hockey games that, um, probably didn't work in our market. Right. We were spending money mm-hmm. as if we were a top five market. Um, and on the business side, we're not right. So right. that was it. And those were both difficult and unpopular. Yeah. And I mean, there's going to be blowback, right? Like fans love those guys. I love them too. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So I, I'm with them, but you know, you know, and then, yeah, but then somebody else gets an opportunity and it's a really great story. We, you know, this guy, Mike Maniscalco, everybody loves him. Yeah. Um, he does a really good job and, and you know, this is this guy's dream. And when you get to see, you know, there's always somebody else that, that gets that opportunity when the, when, when someone leaves and, I do believe in that, you know, I do believe in that. So I'm, I'm happy. I'm happy with the way it turned out for, for some of the people. Cause it kind of promoted a couple people that have done a good job for us the last few years, you know, our sideline reporter, Abby. And, and so it's, it's, you know, uh, sometimes you just have to, you just have to do it, but yeah, I don't, I, it wasn't fun. Right. Right. All right, this I love this question because I wanted to ask you this myself. This is from Stephen Carrier, or if a Carrier, if he's French. The NHL Board of Governors seems super conservative, putting a lot of value on tradition and tenure. As a relatively new member, I'd be curious to hear about your experiences bringing new ideas to the table. How <laughs> that's I love that. How receptive has the old guard been to, you know, you're coming in in a tracksuit and you know whatever. <laughs> like everybody, I, everybody was really nice to me. So I have I. I I don't spend a lot of time, uh, you know, especially with the pandemic, right? There's yeah, right. Been around a lot of people, but everyone I've met has been great. Um, Gary, it's, it's not as much the board of governors. I would say, I think the NHL does a really good job, um, of, of giving everybody a voice, um, whether they listen to your voice or whether it's going to change anything. It just depends on the situation, right? Um, you can't have 31 people all think their idea is going to get done. So I'm, I try to be realistic about, about it, uh, about what your role is of one of 31 people. And I, I think it's reasonable to believe that people have been around longer and have more tenure, um, have more experiences are going to have more, you know, slightly more of a voice, but I've never felt not heard. I've never felt, um, that the league's not engaged in trying to improve and get better. Um, they don't always do everything I want and that's probably appropriate. 
uh, but uh, <laughs> I'd probably be a little more aggressive in certain things uh, on the margin. But I also don't have the experience or the understanding of what some of the things that I find interesting and how what the collateral damage would be. Uh, mm. You know, league's way more qualified to know. So, um, yeah, I mean, I think I think the league is looking to get better all the time, and that that is what I do like about Gary. Um, you would have ads on uniforms, right? You like it sounds oh, like I was reading that Seriously. you would be pushing for it and all that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah. yeah, I mean, I would be um, way more aggressive on the revenue stuff, probably. Um, but it don't mean, doesn't mean I'm right. It just, that would yeah. be more my nature. Right. For sure. Yeah. I might, we would be the, you know, pick the company hurricanes for sure. And I'd have no problem <laughs> with it. I'd love it. The athletics, uh, Carolina hurricanes brought to you by the athletic. I think that's right. Can, Let's do it. Um, give this is comes from that chip guy. Given the Canes embrace of the Whalers legacy, is there room for a relationship with the W the NWHL's Connecticut Whale? And I'd, I'd be interested to get your thoughts on women's hockey and and if you you know see the NHL get in that space more. Yeah, I honestly have no idea. I've never thought about yeah. it. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Okay. I hope it works. I I I'm not. You know, obviously, I haven't grown up with hockey, so I don't know much about the women's game. Um, all right. And the last question comes from, this is uh, listener Pierre Lebrun who says, make sure to ask Dundon about Brindamore's contract. <laughs> I think we did. I think Pierre would be happy to know we got it in there. Yeah, we'll get it. We'll figure that out. He's, that's my guy. <laughs> well, Tom, I appreciate you doing this and carving out the time to do this. This no. was a lot of fun. Great. I appreciate your time. Thank you. All right. Thank you. All right. See you, Craig. Bye. I want to thank Tom Dundon for joining the podcast. It's not often you can get an owner's perspective, um, and especially one who thinks completely differently the way that Tom does. Uh, that was I know he's a busy guy. That was really awesome that he was willing to carve out an hour. I would also, if, if you found that interesting and the different perspective of ownership, I would encourage you to go through the archives and find the conversation with Ted Leonsis. That was ended up being two separate recordings, but he was incredible as well we got more than into into ted's path than i did with tom um because it's for a lot of reasons but ted's is super fascinating and and we could have gone about five hours um but it's you know it's these these are highly successful people that make a lot of major decisions um and and we don't always have access to them so i'm always grateful for when we do have that time and as we sit right now um Tom Dundon's Carolina Hurricanes are 6-1-0 and zero atop the Central with 12 points. And was watching the other night, Jordan Stahl makes this great backhanded pass um, to set up a, a goal. Um, Jordan Stahl has been great this year. And I was reading a Sarah Sivian story. There was a moment where she, in only a way that Sarah can write, she said, stops right in the middle of her story and says, hey, this is a moment to appreciate Jordan Stahl, maybe delete a few bad tweets you might have had in the past about Jordan Stahl, because it hasn't always been perfect with Stahl in Carolina. And, um, but he's driving a large part of their success. And I, and I think of Jordan, and it's been so long since he was traded. This was 2012 when Jordan Stahl was traded to the Hurricanes um, in the, with Brandon Sutter, or in exchange for Brandon Sutter, Brian Dumoulin, first-round pick. Um, and and I still remember the reaction. That draft that year was in Pittsburgh, and they announced there was a trade, and they announced that Jordan Stahl was being traded, popular player there uh, on a young Penguins team, going to Carolina. It was one of those moments I'll never forget because the crowd w- went nuts. It was this monster deal. We were all scrambling to figure out how it all went down. And it just reminded me, Jim Rutherford, who, you know, of course later worked for the Penguins, uh, was with Carolina when that that blockbuster was done, uh, completed with Ray Shero, and you know in the last couple of weeks Jim has resigned as the Penguins GM, and it just, um, you know Jim 
was what I appreciated most about him, besides his honesty and his willingness to, if you got Jim on the phone, he was going to tell you what he was going to do. He was not afraid to to shake things up. He was not afraid to say, hey, we, we want to make a deal. Um, and, you know, from a media perspective, it's great. Um, I, but I think that transparency from a fan perspective is great. This is a guy that was, in his career, um, he he was brave. Like these are big deals he's making, and he was he was constantly trying to make his team better. Um, was relentless in his pursuit of winning, and um, you know personally was disappointed. You know I hated to see him resign because um, as a fan of the game, it's great to have those people in the game. That uh, you know, and Tom Dundon talks talked a little bit about this in this conversation. Like sometimes you have to make a move, um, especially early on in his tenure in Carolina, and I think. Nobody realized that more than Jim Rutherford. Um, so I hope, you know, I hope we haven't seen the last of Jim as a GM. Uh, or, and I hope the other GMs around the league will pick up the slack when it comes to making monster deals. Uh, I think Yarmo Kekalainen might be the guy that replaces him on that front. But he was an old school you know, trader, and I love that about Jim Rutherford. So I wish him best in, in what's next. And, and you know, it was... It's a, hockey is a better place when, when Jim is in the middle of it. All right. Before we wrap up, a couple things. I do want to highlight some of the uh, other podcasts on our network. Um, if you're not listening to The Athletic Hockey Show with Ian Mendez and Haley Salvian and John McIndoo, it's great. It's a fantastic show. Check that out. Scott Burnside and Pierre LeBrun still have their two-man advantage version of The Hockey Show. And this week they had Ken Hitchcock. And Ken, in terms of people who are great conversationalists, is one of the best. I love Hitch to, to chat with him, to get insight from him. Always uh, a fun conversation, and I'm sure that's a great listen. So check that out. Kyle Brodziak joined Mike Russo on Straight from the Source. Um, so I would encourage you to give that a listen. And if you're not somehow a subscriber to The Athletic um, and you want to get a discount, go to theathletic.com slash full 60 and you can get in at $3.99 per month, and you support the podcast. So that'd be great. So that's theathletic.com slash full60. All right, that's it. That's a wrap. Wow. Thank you for listening. Thanks again to Tom Dundon uh, for joining the podcast and Carolina Hurricanes for setting that up, and have a great week. <laughs>